0: Hey everyone, welcome to the bleeped version of Two White Folks. Thanks for being here. There will not be any curse words in this version, except for in the music, because we're not going to edit the music. Um, But. We're going to jump into Lennontown, part
1: I one. When I met Geneva, she was the first. I had, I had no idea that I was going to meet any of the residents. And meeting Geneva first has to be the best person to meet first because her mind and her memory is so sharp. Mm. But she's so full of life. The first thing I didn't know the name of the neighborhood. Yeah, uh, I had I had just simply called it the Gerald neighborhood because there was a prominent black school there called the Gerald Academy. Mm. They taught Greek, Latin all the way to textiles and farming. But I just used that as a placeholder because I didn't know what to call the neighborhood. And Geneva told me Linnentown, and that was the first time I heard the name. But when I repeated it back to her, I said, Linnentown. And she said, no, 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 you say it like a white man. It's Linnentown. And it was such a beautiful correction for me, and I've been thinking about it ever since, of how the... Spelling of the neighborhood name and how you say it, she said, you, you spell it like it sounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how a black community names their community by taking a street that was named after a prominent white family here, the Linden family, mm-hmm. and giving it a spin that makes it theirs. Yeah. That was the first thing that Geneva told me it was just a game changer because it, it had an identity and and nowhere in the record books nowhere in newspapers anywhere could you find that name mm-hmm. anywhere and it was at that moment that i realized that this is this could be something where a story can actually finally be told Town, which was located where the UGA high-rise dorms are, bromby Russell, Creswell, mm-hmm. about 20 to 24 acres. It was a black community of about 50 families, 33 property owners. The project that was involved in that area was called the University of Georgia Urban Renewal Program. And there was a giant sign mm. that you know, practically celebrated. That's the first thing you see on the website. Mm. You see that you see that sign while they're doing the construction of the dorms. Right down the street where now all the Terry College businesses and the UGA Special Collections Library, that was a white neighborhood that was also Demolished in the same program, but with all the research that we were able to uncover, we can see very easily that when they used eminent domain to seize the properties, Linden town the average property value judgment between two and three thousand dollars. When you get to the white neighborhood, it jumps up about eighty percent, mm. so it's about an average of seven to eight or $9,000 and a lot of the white residents sold their properties outright. They were able just to get pretty much market rate and they sold it to the city. The residents in Lynntown didn't want to leave. They didn't want to sell. And even if they were to sell, there was no way that they were going to get what their property was really worth. Mm. So they were, so they were screwed both ways.
0: Yeah. Just to back up. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know what you know about that neighborhood, who you know that lives there, any stories that you know about the neighborhood. Just anything to help me see an image of what the neighborhood was like. Uh,
1: Lennontown was composed of three streets, kind of four. So there's South Finley that still exists. So that runs between russell and creswell but when you go down and you hit that intersection between cloverhurst and south finley yep. if you were to take a right into the parking lot for the dorms brumby and russell you would literally be on the street that's called linden row mm. and it's likely where the name linden town comes from but this was a completely unpaved dirt road
0: so the all the other streets in the city were paved. All the other streets except in the city were this one. except
1: for two streets in London Town were to Linden Row yeah. and Peabody Street. So the neighborhood was composed of these three streets. Linden Row had the had the most was the most populated in terms of houses. Peabody Street Had a good number, and South of Finley had a lot of shotguns. So Linden
0: Row was like the center line. Yeah, it was like the center line. This dirt road center line. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of the
1: the hub. Right, and for and for our listeners, it's there's a beautiful story. I love telling this story when I when I met the first resident I met, Geneva Johnson, who still lives in one of the houses from Linden Town that her father was able to move from. Town to a new lot over in East Athens, mm. preserved. There are three remaining houses, and this is one of the houses wow. that's fully preserved in, in original condition. And Geneva started telling me about the you know what the neighborhood was composed of. Mm. I could see from the records that I obtained from the urban renewal files, I could get a sense of what people did. They were carpenters. They worked at the universities. Uh, custodians or cooks, housekeepers, some people worked at the furniture stores here, but there but in the community there were brick masons, carpenters, architects, I mean, some of them built their own houses of a self-reliant and Geneva told me that in their house they lived on 123 Linden Row. So right at almost at the corner of South of Finley and Linden Row. Her father used to have this projector and he would put up a giant white sheet, and invite everyone from the community over to, to watch movies. Everyone knew everyone. And if you were a kid and you did something stupid, acted out, <laughs> everyone knew each other's parents. Yeah. And you knew that you were going to kind of get your ass whooped <laughs> when you got back home. And, you know, there were, you know, there were kids. They played. There were families who 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 lived together, who had the same struggles as everyone else did in terms of being families, but the with the profound difference, they were black mm. and they were poor mm-hmm. because of the systems in place. The streets and the community were completely unpaved. There were no sewer lines. There mm. was hard, there was like one telephone, and I think. Some of them were able to have indoor plumbing at some point, so they didn't have plumbing,
0: did they yeah. have electricity
1: oh. yeah, so yeah. so there was a power line yeah coming in, but if that, yeah, so the infrastructure was minimal mm. at best, whereas the surrounding areas the streets were paved, there were sewers and and there are existing maps that show where the sewer lines yeah and so- but Behind the Gerald Academy, it was this big open field. And in the summer, they would play baseball out there. Mm. But during football season, what Geneva and Hattie Whitehead and several other residents who were teenagers at the time, like Mm. right around when urban renewal was about to happen in the early 60s, during football games a lot of the attendees who were pretty much white, Mm. they would park in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the neighbor, everyone in Lennon Town was expected to watch the cars and to make sure that nothing happened to them. Because mm-hmm. if something happened to them, they would be held responsible. And then people would leave their trash coming back from the game mm-hmm. along along the streets. And
0: then, the white community would just park their cars. They would just park their cars In there. their yard and yeah. on the street. Yeah, it's on the street. And then if something went wrong, they w- would punish them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that is such a powerful... And horrific very human story of the that i i i've never heard and i I, i'm it's difficult to process that as a society you the the amount of privilege is so high like you just you couldn't do that today and we do it in different ways today that aren't this but but like i just can't imagine pulling up in someone's yard and then just being like hey Watch my car. That's it. That's if exactly some, it's it. It's like, what? No. <laughs> I'm no. I'm not to watch your car. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like. Jesus. But, it, but
1: then it was literally, mm. yes sir, yes ma'am. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And in that, in that, and when I say it like that, I really do mean like, yes, master. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're still, <laughs> still practically a slave in in that interaction, yeah, I,
0: I remember reading John Muir has his journal where he. Mm, have you read his journal when he walked no, through Athens? No, but I've heard. Yeah, yeah, he talks about Athens, and I've got it in my room. Yeah, um, but he talks about his the things he talks about in Athens was that he was shocked by how well trained the black community was. Well in trained. Athens. Which is which is brutal to say and very difficult, but uh, that's the way he phrases it. And right. In that he says he had never walked through a town where the the black community not only took their hat off from thirty yards away, but walked to the other side of the street, stopped, bowed. Yeah. You know, as, yeah.
1: And actually, on that point, I'd, I'd love to frame what we're talking about hmm. with something that I think we mentioned in the first episode i think Mm. we've mentioned it along the way how athens is today still an antebellum city yeah and what and what we mean by that i think this is a great opportunity to begin unpacking that in the context of linentown and to what you just talked about with muir black communities being his description of being so well trained that's ingrained in the landscape of the city where to this day it's still profoundly segregated yeah we live we live in boulevard yeah and it's white you go you go literally not even half a mile three quarters of a mile to east athens it's pretty much a black neighborhood with increasing gentrification yeah but you don't see this in atlanta Mm. In this way.
0: No. And 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 yeah, we my friend from New York came down and said she was really shocked that she would try to interact with someone who's black on the street in Athens and they wouldn't didn't want to interact with her. Right. That's that
1: that's rooted in brutality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's what that is. And so with Lennontown, you you know, white family pulls up or just a group of young white dudes pull up in their car they park it on Linden Row or Peabody or South Finley hmm. they just get out they probably just didn't even say anything they just walk to the stadium and hmm. there is the expectation that mm-hmm. their cars are to be cared for and and so when Muir in this very brutal way talking about yeah. black communities being quote unquote well trained it's it's rooted in the physical landscape and infrastructure of Athens as an antebellum city. And when we talk about it as an antebellum city, and we don't talk about it in Atlanta like that,
0: it's because Sherman burned because Atlanta.
1: it's because Sherman burned Atlanta yeah. and did not come to Athens. Yeah. The physical landscape and infrastructure in Atlanta was destroyed. Hmm. So the way that it got rebuilt, and really Atlanta becoming a hub of black life and culture yeah. to this day yeah. is what you don't see here in Athens. There are no political winds and powers in, in Athens like you can see mm. in varying degrees in Atlanta. Here in Athens, what you just described with Muir and, and your friend visiting from New York isn't just something that you saw back in Lennontown mm. or back in eighteen seventy you still see it here today. Mm. And that's the brutality of, of white supremacy as a system of behavior and yeah. trainings. So with town this, bu- this beautiful black community of brilliant artisans, skilled workers, families who are just families mm. living in the way that Geneva puts it, as kids... For them, they didn't know that they were poor. They just mm-hmm. lived their life. Their parents knew that. But they owned their properties. Yeah. The houses they lived in were theirs all the way down to the dirt. And that is how you build wealth. Yep. That is the cornerstone of wealth building in a capitalistic society. And they were very proud of it. Yeah. But town lied at the heart of an antebellum city whose heartbeat still today is football and students. And
0: white people. And white people, yeah. yeah. So in
1: 1959, the residents of Town were able to petition city council, when it was the city of Athens, to initiate street pavings and updated mm. infrastructures. City council records show that council passed ordinances Mm. To initiate infrastructure upgrades, not only for Lennon Town, but for all the streets in Lennon Town. This means not only paved streets, but the installation of sewer lines. Mm. So you can have indoor plumbing, updated electrical lines. Just being able to get in and out of the na- of the neighborhood where when it rained, you didn't drive or walk in mud. Yep. And those were slated to happen a- in 1959. Well what also happened in 1959 in the summer of 59 was the housing the US housing act of 1949 was updated. And it was updated by the federal government to allow public universities and colleges to take advantage of the urban of the federal urban renewal program which was part of the housing act. Hmm. So before this cities municipalities were the only ones able to apply for these loan programs to, so you have charlottesville is really the most well known and most impacted through urban renewal but this happens across but this happened across the country there's a lot of research in the roles of cities hmm. but in 59 was the first time that universities could take advantage of this So, in October of 59, Mayor Ralph Snow calls for this luncheon and invites UGA President Omar Adderhold, city councilman, and other universities, system of Georgia officials, and federal officials, Mm. to come and talk Mm. about urban renewal. And the topic of that talk was the area of Lennontown. What... At the at that time, they were facing a problem of increasing student enrollment, mm. so they needed a place for students. To, so they want so that property, those twenty twenty four acres of uh, Town was prime real estate. Yeah, and what made it so advantageous was it was already underdeveloped infrastructure. Mm. Now now remember. In, in early 59, city council had already passed ordinances to update all the infrastructure. Yeah. Well, what what ended up happening was when the federal urban renewal program was updated in 59, in summer of 59, the city and the university had the perfect plan. They could update all the infrastructure in that area without without spending a dime of city money. And get a federal urban renewal program mm-hmm. co-contracted between the city and the university system. And all they had to do was was demolish uh, all the properties in Lennon It's cheaper
0: mm-hmm.
1: to enact eminent domain and demolish properties than it is to update infrastructure. So in 1961, in August of 61, the city began doing family surveys and we have all these records where they would get all the demographic information of the the families in these two areas again there was a white neighborhood down the street that was also affected
0: Mm.
1: and we'll get into the details in later episodes because there's a lot here but what happened in 61 resulted where The city of Athens and the University of Georgia was able to win a federal loan contract because they had all the political power, all the economic power, and all the legal power. U.S. Senators Richard B. Russell and Herman Talmadge, both ardent segregationists and racists, and their names, Russell's name is is on several of our buildings at UGA. The city and UGA used the powers of the senators to expedite the application Mm. for that program and that was between 59 and 60. Mm -hmm. So when 61 rolls around when the project is initiated Lennontown has no idea what's about to hit them. When I was first talking to Geneva she told me the story and it will always be the story that really to me is the crux and what is so heartbreaking about what happened to town and I think is the example of what happens to pretty much any black community that gets overrun and erased. She described her father, six foot six black man, fit, proud property owner, worked at the fine arts building. She never she never seen him cry until one day she came home and Geneva was about seventeen or eighteen. This was in sixty one. Just in tears and talked to his wife Carrie Lou and Geneva overheard Davis Johnson Mr. Johnson say that he had attended a meeting at the university where he and a couple of other folks were told that they're going to have to leave because of urban renewal and Mr. Johnson said I don't I don't want to leave I this is my property I this is my home His nickname was Snowball and that's not an Indian nickname borders on being a kind of epithet and Mr Johnson said he was told by by one of the white men was there, Snowball, you ain't got a choice. That right there, that statement right there, you don't have a choice is the essence of urban renewal. It is the essence of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, lynching, slavery. All in that sentence. You're not a human being. You don't have autonomy. You don't have a choice.
0: Well, I mean, from UJ's perspective, this was a great business move. This was a great, no, it really and, was. And, and I say this, Joey, this, it was business. It was business. It's, it was legal. We yep. did it legally. We, we, went, listen, there's an incredible federal loan. Right. We got, we just got an awesome deal. PPP came in it's this ppp loan right. for us to update this infrastructure and it's prime real estate it's it's for growth it's for jobs yeah it's business it's legal we're not you know you're
1: getting paid oh yeah
0: we paid them for their houses you're paying for the
1: houses I and you say, just got to go through the process man yes yeah. well we're all in this together we're you know yeah. we're, we're,
0: uh, and the university great business move great business saved move. a ton of money they didn't have to spend a dime they got I mean brand it really new.
1: was a brilliant business move
0: yeah and and i i say that because i think on every episode that we've been together <laughs> at some point i've said joey this is just business this is just business and i hear this all the time the way things are is just business this we're just it's a smart business move and this is such a horrific example that's so obvious, I hope, for listeners where you say, like, we got to start questioning what we're doing when we say it's a business move. Right.
1: When, we, because, because when you say it's just business, to our listeners, I really want you to, to, to make the connection. When you say it's just business, it's, it's the same thing as tantamount to say, you don't have a choice. And the reason that they're the same thing is that there's a larger system in place where you just got to go along with it. This is just how things are.
0: Yep. And, yeah. and I think dehumanizing. It's you know, so you, fundamentally dehumanizing. You're not a human being. Yeah. You're a resource. You're a resource. You're, and, yeah. and businesses talk about this all the time. Even It's this performance culture yeah. of human beings are resources to be used. And they can be replaced, right? And we—that is a white supremacy. (laughs) That is literally the the terms used for slavery. Yeah, and so and we use them today in every single corporation, Google, Apple, um, banks, in town, uh, restaurants. And
1: and this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a term that I'll be using a lot when talking about and as the show continues, mm. what you just described is de jure white supremacy. Mm. So the term de jure, this is very important because when we, when we talk about white supremacy and segregation, it's, it's typically framed in terms of de facto, mm. that it's within mm. our social sphere, our everyday lives, how we interact with each other. What Richard Rothstein does in his book The Color of Law is he flips this around and says that segregation as a a social function is actually, it's not primary. It comes out of the function of law and policy. Mm -hmm. So de jure segregation, what he talks about, is what sets the conditions, the economic, political, and social conditions
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the performative aspects of segregation. Yeah. And so what we did in, in the Lenin Project is expand this concept out to de jure white supremacy. And not just in terms of segregation, but all aspects of human activities in the United States, specifically with regard to racism and what you termed in the previous episode, white priority. As I was going through the urban renewal files, all the program files, the budgets, policies, procedures, I had to pace myself because I couldn't digest what I was seeing in large amounts each day. As you look at it deeper and deeper, you see just how the university and the city, they had all the advantage. Mm. Every single advantage to the point where you can, you know, you can see these same policies at work today.
0: Mm.
1: How so quickly an area can be gentrified. It's the same mechanisms.
0: Yeah, it's it's business. It's business. I'm just, I'm making an investment. You're making an investment. I'm making it, you know, it's, uh, I had a really lovely chat with this older man in Boulevard. Oh, yeah. It's really sweet. He reached out and we're talking about the Is Our Neighborhood Segregated yeah. campaign. And he said, I, I think the only thing that will fix this is better education and, and jobs that pay a living wage. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, that's, that's totally true if we don't change what we're currently doing. And and on one hand, I'm, I am kind of wrestling with this because I'm like, the things that white people benefit from, I also want non-white people to benefit from. <laughs> right. Like, I want non-white people to be able to buy a house in the yeah. neighborhood and the property goes, value goes up. That's, I want the investment to work for everyone. And I am starting to slowly understand what Montu said to us. It's just I it really haven't understood until now. I'm beginning to little where he says either everyone is white. Yeah. Or no one can be white. That's right. It is. Yeah. And that was something that was really and I didn't understand where I was like, What? I was like, What do you mean? How do right. I not be white? I'm so white. <laughs> and but I, I I'm starting he's like, either and and I will continue to understand this the further i continue to see the world and in non-white ways but it's like either everyone gets the privileges white people have right or if they don't then nobody gets to be white and you as a white person don't get those benefits and thinking about this guy he was a musician bought his house when no one wanted to move into the boulevard area right it was a mess he bought it for dirt cheap and he just he put his sweat into the house and made it nice yeah he's not Necessarily the villain of Athens sure but in that it's like nice white parents his house is now worth Five times what he paid it for maybe more.
1: It's probably a little bit more
0: that's it's incredible Property value and and he said something to me. I was like yeah We need education and wages unless you're willing for your property value to go down three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> And he said to me that would be the difference between my daughter going to college or not and i didn't press him on this but that is a fallacy one because who knows two it discredits the ingenuity of your daughter (laughs) three like the opportunities that sacrificing personal greed for a stronger community Right. What that presents, we don't know, and will be so much more fruitful, and and awesome. Well,
1: but the thing is, is that what you're talking about with the guy that you ran into, mm. he's building wealth. Yep. And this is exactly what the 33 property owners in mm. town were doing. So for our listeners, it's like for a moment, just think. And Kelly Kelly Gertz said this. Publicly. Imagine, those dorms had never been built and the city ordinance had been implemented. All of Town received the updates, sewage, power lines, and those families stayed there for the 60 years in that area.
0: So close to Stanford Stadium. So
1: close to Stanford Stadium. They would be worth conservatively about half a million dollars each each per house each per house Mm
0: -hmm.
1: conservatively and that's not even including any kind of equity building of investments that the families might have been doing that's just the property
0: and imagine having uh, a premier grammar school oh that's in your neighborhood in your neighborhood with baseball field with uh the the properties would have been worth more than half a million. Oh,
1: absolutely. So so when you so the neighbor that you ran into here, yeah, Boulevard is saying exactly what, Lenontown lost. Now, when we talk about wealth lost to a black community, or to any community that's been harmed by an institutional actor, it needs to be also framed with respect to the wealth gained by the institutional actor. So wealth just doesn't go into the ether. What Linnentown lost goes to the University of Georgia and to the city of Athens. That property over there according to the tax assessor with all the dorms and everything on it is worth over $76 million. Hmm. So over 60 years that's an, that's a, that, that's a rate of return each year of about 11%.
0: So that's $76 million that was taken from that black neighborhood.
1: But that's not not counting the tuition and the other expenses that the students Mm. over 60 years have brought Mm. to the city and to the university. Because of those three dorms, including students, tuition, going downtown, football games, all that revenue, because of those
0: three dorms, so centrally located.
1: I would say, and someone's going to think, call me out on it, I don't care.
0: Um, Conservatively, conserv- like half a billion dollars. So... I mean, just imagine that black neighborhood was able to have $76 million mm-hmm. to reinvest. Yeah. And do what they want in Athens. Right. And this is so important. Linentown
1: was a place where 50 black families were creating their history. But in the 60s, it was erased to the point where n- n- no one knew what Lennon was except for the elders in the black community. Choosing to be anti-racist choosing not to be a white supremacist when so many of us white folks are brought up in it and trained so well in it mm-hmm. how do you unlearn that
0: yeah i don't i don't i mean i, I don't know how to earn, unlearn it i yeah i am so white i'm so southern I mean, and as as I, much as i am yeah, started I am this too. podcast to to try to f- figure out how to be a, a less racist white supremacist but I th- person. I mean, at, it's, at, at the
1: very least, it starts with white folks coming to white folks and having a call to action of going, let's stop harming our black neighbors. I mean, th- let go back to what Montu said. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's either everyone gets to be white or no one gets to be white.
0: Yeah. It's not working.
1: It's not working, right. This... Co-
0: our 2021 is not working. Yeah. And if you think it is working, you are not spending time in areas where the people that you are making money off of are suffering. Right. In this town. And, and, and making money off of by your, by making your house tripling in value. Right. By your product being cheaper, Mm -hmm. by your chicken being, you know, uh, Cheaper per pound. Right. That, you know, yeah. was like, you got to start thinking...
1: By making sure your kid goes to the school where uh, he's not going to see people who's not like him.
0: Yeah. Chase Uh, Street Elementary has the most funding and the most competitive to get into.
1: Oconee County looks really nice. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing to, you know, there's a lot of UGA professors who... Who's you know tout that progressive mm-hmm. progressive line? Then they drive five ten miles back to their Oconee County house mm-hmm. where they can send their kid to a nice white school. Yep, and they take the tax dollars away from Athens Clark County. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Either we all get to be white and do that, or none of us get to be white and do that
0: that's a hard one yeah that's a hard one <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep
1: this was good this was this felt this will be on the beat. <laughs> Kato you way too dumb kid I've been on this rapping shit for a long time my city's sleeping niggas envy me I got like four or five niggas trying to be like me Yet I'm so official I writing, my Singing, rapping, and look like gotta...
0: the music in this episode is brought to you by Athens rapper Lil Cal uh, we're gonna post his cash app below so please send him some love and send him some money uh, thanks so much for remaining here and we will be here next Thursday with Lennontown part 2.
1: Been so dedicated like Wayne Just since I'm taking this for everything Black, I'm on like Kobe with my fucking rain. When I blow this shit it won't be the same